This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along uh, to the programme. Met Air and now have extended their cold weather advisory. It spans the entire country. The national forecaster uh, are, has warned uh, travellers widespread frost and icy patches causing hazardous driving conditions. And the country now is under a cold weather advisory for sharp to severe frost and icy patches and dense fog. And it now remains in place until nine. 9am next Saturday morning. So for the remainder of this week, the kind of holding back on what the weekend is going to be looking like and because of that, the Road Safety Authority also urging motorists, please slow down and watch out for vulnerable road uh, users. And the HSC has also said that accidents that are directly resulting from the cold and the icy weather, that's leading to a further increase in people attending the emergency departments around the country, which is obviously putting additional pressure on the hospital system. And and they're saying to people, if you do have a fall or a slip, uh, you know, maybe try and see if you can get care locally, maybe go to your GP, your pharmacy, you know, and advertising things like the the injury units. And we've got some wonderful injury units with one in Bantry, sorry, and one in uh, Mallow. We remember they can treat broken bones and dislocated limbs and, and sprains and most people I think will try if they have any kind of an injury, they will try and see if they can have it assessed locally rather than having to uh, travel to one of the bigger city hospitals to the A&E departments. And all of our hospitals are under pressure at the moment because it is looking like the respiratory illnesses are very near its uh, peak. Uh, For example, the uh, HSE are saying they've had a steady increase in COVID week on uh, week. There's also been a big increase in the number of flu cases People have been having to be admitted to hospital because of flu and the RSV, that other respiratory virus that we spoke about before Christmas that is particularly people at risk are the older and young, very small uh, babies. They're saying that has started to stabilise, which certainly is some good news, but definitely increase in people being admitted to hospital with COVID and with the seasonal flu. And actually, I saw one of the doctors from the HSC. It was uh, Dr. Jerry McCarthy. He's the HSC's clinical lead. 
uh, for the National Clinical uh, Programme, he was saying to people, look, if you do have to go to an accident and emergency department, or indeed, let's say, if you do even have to go to your local GP and you're suffering with any kind of respiratory problems or any sort of coughs or colds or anything like that, he's making the suggestion that you really should wear your mask when you are, particularly if you're attending emergency uh, departments. So try your best to keep away from them, but obviously when people get very unwell, they don't really have much choice. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls this morning. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can text our WhatsApp to the studio 0862 103 103. And of course, we always welcome your emails. You can send them any time of the day or night. Cork today at c103.ie. Can I wish the best of luck to all of the Cork pupils who are part of a total of 550 projects from 219 schools who are taking part in this year's BT Young Scientist Technology Exhibition, which will officially open to the public tomorrow. The event, of course, every year is one of the most highly anticipated in the academic calendar. And this year, the entrants, the judges and the attendees are not only looking to the future of science, but they're very much remembering the past because this is the 60th anniversary of the first ever staging of the Young Scientist of the Year uh, competition. And and since it was first put in place, the exhibition has excelled as a platform for inspiring young people to use the STEM subjects. And we're hearing so much about the STEM uh, subjects and to understand and improve our world. And it served as a launch pad for many incredible careers, including that of one John Monaghan. And John Monaghan was the first ever winner 60 years ago of the very first ever Young Scientist uh, exhibition. And he, they've invited him back and he's actually going to be a judge uh, for this uh, year. Now, there's 200 prizes will be announced in a total. Of course, the overall winner gets €7,500 and the winners will be announced at a special ceremony on uh, Friday. And of course, the winner then goes on to represent Ireland at the EU contest for young scientists. And this year that's going to be held in uh, Poland. And Cork schools always do remarkably well in the Young Scientist uh, and Technology Exhibition, we've had a number of overall winners come from Cork who then go on to represent the country in the EU contest and they've done particularly well in that as well. So best of luck to all of the uh, students. And staying with young people, I, I was, well, young people and females, I was very disappointed to hear that more than half of Irish people say they've never attended a women's sporting Event And this is all coming out from new uh, research. Now, if you compare that to people who've attended, were asked, have you ever attended a men's sporting uh, event? Less than 30% admitted that they'd never been to a men's uh, sporting event. The result was commissioned by uh, Lidl and Red Sea. And it's revealed 59% of Irish people say they would prefer to watch men's sport on TV than go out and attend a female sporting event. Isn't that really disappointing, particularly for the females who are as dedicated to their sport and train as hard as their male counterparts and for some reason we can't get the public to engage and go along and support them. Of those who were surveyed, 
46% said men's sport was generally, in inverted commas, better to watch. And one in three said they believed the standard of play wasn't high enough to justify attendance at live matches. And this comes despite three quarters of people saying that it was a shame that more people do not attend women's fixtures. fixtures. So on one hand, we have we have nearly 60% of people saying, no, I, you know, I'd never go along uh, to see, I've never gone along to see a woman's any kind of a woman's sporting event and 75% of the same people said isn't it a shame that people go on, don't go along to women's fixtures. The spectators at women's matches are more likely to be made up of male. This is also interesting. So more men than women will go along and the age bracket of those attending is between 35 and 54 and if you dig into that that's primarily parents of children and girls who are participating in the sport, they're the ones that are actually attending the women's fixtures. Now, the reason given for non-attendance included lack of media coverage, with almost two-thirds of people saying that women's sport is not sufficiently covered by the media. 83% agreed that men's sports are covered much more comprehensively, and I think anyone involved in women's sport will agree with that. People also say venues are difficult to get to, and they listed not knowing anyone playing and they also listed high ticket prices all further barriers to not going along the research also found that half of people think there is a lack of female sporting heroes in Ireland so those doing the survey then asked the people to name an Irish female sports star almost half of the people instantly said Katie Taylor but fewer than one in ten were able to name any other female sporting star without being given a little bit of a prompt. The current record, by the way, for the attendance of a women's sporting event in Ireland is 56,114 people. And that over 56,000 people, they attended the 2019 of the All-Ireland Ladies Football Final. And Carla Rowe is captain of the Dublin Ladies uh, Football Team. And she says as a player, having fans in the stands makes an absolute world of difference. She says it's about creating an atmosphere that fuels the passion for the game. She says the roar of the crowd and the energy from the fans uh, can often be the ingredient that teams need to get that win and to just push them over the line. And she says it can take the match to a new level of uh, excitement. So making a collective effort to elevate women in sports from grassroots right up to the elite, that will change the game for everyone, uh, she said, including those who are at the top of the, the top of whatever sports genre they're playing. So it is it is disappointing and we need to do something because it's because we also and often talk about teenage girls, you know, they will be involved in, young girls will be involved in sports and then when they kind of get to that 15, 16 age group, there's a problem with not all, but some of them decide to drop out. Maybe if more people were attending the matches and more people were supportive of the women's games, maybe we would see more of them stick with it and, and go right up into adulthood, continuing to play their sports. But wasn't it interesting that Katie, I'm not surprised though to hear that Katie Taylor was the name that came out when people were asked for a name and I may, a name an Irish female sports star. So if you were asked that question outside of Katie Taylor, 
Who would instantly come into your mind if you were asked to name your top Irish female sports star? I'd be interested to hear from people who you would list as a top Irish female sports star. And I was asking people if you were stopped on the street as part of a survey and asked to name an Irish female sports uh, star, who would you name? And this happened with a, a survey that was carried out just to try to work out how many people go along to watch and support women uh, in any kind of a female sporting event and unfortunately when people were asked to name an Irish female sports uh, star uh, half of all of those who responded said uh, Katie Taylor but fewer than one in ten of those that were asked were able to name any other female uh, sporting star and we have so many wonderful female sporting uh, stars and straight away I was saying to people tell us tell me who you would say would be your top female sporting star and I can see one, two, three, four, five probably the first six texts in straight away including Tom from Fomoy and Anne in Mallow others unnamed all saying Sonia O'Sullivan and actually I while I was waiting for some of your texts to come in I started drawing up a list and actually the top of my list uh, was Sonia O'Sullivan as well. Somebody else says Rena Buckley and Valerie Mulcahy. All of those wonderful Cork lady footballers says uh, Margaret. They are all top Irish female sports stars. They are indeed. Uh, this is, is there a name on this? There isn't. Um, Kira. Now, and I don't, I, this now I'm ashamed to say I don't know everyone that's named on this, but somebody has says, uh, Kira is it Mangan? Uh, Rashida Adelecki, I have Rashida Adelecki down on my list from Cork, all from Ballinine. Joan Healy, yeah, uh, Phil Healy, and recent Irish cross country winner Fiona uh, Everett. Uh, there's another name to put to the list. Somebody says, while at the moment, it's Camogie is the best game in the world. I think it's a lot better than the men's hurling. They just seem to throw the ball around the, the game. The game, the modern game of hurling has been destroyed. The best has got to be camogie at the moment, says somebody else. And hi, uh, Patricia, two well-known female sports stars come to mind, Sonia Sullivan and Rosemary Smith. And that's from Pat uh, Crowley. Yeah, Rosemary Smith, certainly on this. Dervlo O'Rourke is somebody else that's been mentioned. If we're talking of boxers, when Katie Taylor, Taylor was mentioned, let's not forget uh, Kelly Harrington. And then for jockeys, uh, Rachel Blackmore, wonderful, wonderful Irish female sports star and I have to put in uh, Ellen Keane into that uh, list. She is the Paralympian swimmer. Um, another fine, fine Irish female sports uh, star. So yeah, there's a lot it looks like there's a lot of people can name more than just the one uh, Katie Taylor but it's to encourage people now to go along and to watch a lot of the female sporting events. Now at the end of uh, last summer we mentioned the family of a Dublin man who were looking for any sightings of him. John Keaveney is in his early 40s. He was on holidays here in Cork with his young family. They were in the East Cork area. But unfortunately John went missing. Now it was following treatment at Cork University Hospital for an epileptic episode and nearly five months later the family are still desperate for any information as to where John is or what happened to him following him leaving CUH. And his uncle Cahal Keevney uh, joins me on the programme. Good morning to you Cahal. Good morning Cahal. Can you hear me? Uh, he was there a moment ago. Let me just see that everything is... Pr- Good morning, Cahal. Um, are we in record? We are. Good morning, Cahal. 
Good morning, sorry, Trisha. How are sorry. you? Yeah, yeah. I'm very well. Apologies there. There was buttons wrongly pressed here. Uh, you're welcome uh, to, to the studio, or to the programme. Can you start, um, Cahal, by firstly telling me a little bit about John? By way of explaining how out of character it would be for him to suddenly go missing. Yes, Patricia. Um, again, look, thank you so much to you um, and your team and actually listeners for the time this morning. Um, yeah, what happened was that John, he loved going and visiting Cork and he used to visit it with his family frequently. And uh, August last year, late August last year, they went down for a break to the Castle Martin Hotel, which they'd been to before. Himself, his beautiful wife, Adrina, and their three beautiful young kids who were aged 13, 9 and 6. And they were having a family holiday. And uh, John suffered from epilepsy. He acquired epilepsy about 10 years previously. And every now and again, he would suffer uh, an epileptic episode. And he'd go to hospital and they'd just give him medication and uh, he'd be absolutely fine and go straight home. In fact, it got to a point where, you know, he'd go into hospital, get the medication and go home um, himself because uh, it became, it wasn't an uncommon thing and they'd become uh, pretty familiar with it. So everything was normal. Nobody was worried. Um so he went to Cork University Hospital and they gave him the medication. But it seems that when he was in Cork University Hospital, unusually, he had, they think, a second epileptic episode. And unfortunately, when that happens, you can become very disorientated. And we feel John became disorientated at that point and for some reason decided to leave the hospital himself. And actually, um, we've been looking for him ever since. Um, because he was overnighting in, in the hospital, Patricia, um, his phone ran out of juice and he lost all power in his phone. So we weren't really able to contact him. Um, so we we're really just trying to locate him in Cork. And the last sighting we have of him in Cork is actually at the roundabout between the Albert Road and the Centre Park Road at around about 1.45 a.m. Uh, in the morning. Uh of August, Monday, August the 21st. And we sort of have him then walking towards the Marina Walk and the Greenway, passing Parky Keeve at around about 1.45 a.m. Uh, in the early hours of that Monday morning. And um, was was it, the, was it that Monday morning that he left the hospital or did he leave the hospital on the Sunday? He left it on the Sunday. On, on the, the Sunday. Sunday. At, at about what but, time? Uh, I think it was uh, sometime in the afternoon, in, okay. in the early afternoon. But the problem is his phone ran out of juice, right? So uh, he wasn't contactable. And because he was disorientated, um, we really don't know what he was thinking or where he thought he was. Um, he did work in Cork frequently. Uh, he worked in IT and he'd have to go down there to work. So he may have been under the illusion that uh, he was down there on some sort of work project. Or he went to a lot of concerts. He might have thought that he was down there to go to a concert because of the fact that he walked down the Centre Park Road, which brings you to um, the Marquee in Cork. Would he have been? To he the, yeah, he would have been to the Marquee in the past attending oh, a concert. 
he was a huge music fan, Patricia. Okay. And he and he, and he knew, as you say, he knew Cork well. So if he's he a bit disorientated, well. his bearings would be, oh, I must be here for the marquee. If, I'm, I'm just thinking with his mind frame, if he is a bit disorientated. So that's why you think he might have headed in that direction. Yeah, that was that was our thinking because he might have thought, look, it's late at night, there could be a gig on and he'd meet people at the gig or he'd meet people coming out of the gig. He was very well known. He was probably the biggest Oasis fan in Ireland. Ah. Uh, he loved the Gallagher brothers, right? Yeah. He followed them all over the world, everywhere. And because he frequented so many gigs, a lot of people would know him. Yeah. So uh, if I was John and uh, uh, I was looking to meet up with people or engage with people, I, I'd head somewhere where there was music, you know. In fact, he was even known in a couple of the, um, the student area of Cork where he'd meet up with people after gigs for, for a drink and whatever. So it was sort of a community there. Mm. And um, so he might have been trying to search out his community, so to speak. Um, but, but the la- it, the very la- the, and the and and you've you have you seen the CCTV footage? Has that been made available to the family? I have. So I you've have, been yeah. clearly yeah. able to see um, uh, Cahill. D- did he did he look disorientated? I'm just wondering in the way he was walking. Yes, I would. I I, I would be thinking that uh, it wasn't John as, as we know him. Yeah. I mean, what what has happened is sort of the character, Patricia. Um, I mean, John was the loveliest, most engaging guy you'd ever meet. He talked to anybody, uh, anywhere, wherever he was. He started up a conversation and he was always happy. He always had a big smile on his face. And anybody who engaged with John would always walk away with a smile on their face. You know, man. so John just to go missing like this. Yeah, it's, so it's just, completely out of character, completely, figure, completely yeah, out, out of character. And his yeah. epilepsy was under control through medication. It was under control through medication. Uh, but unfortunately, every now and again, people familiar with epilepsy will know that people sometimes they still get attacks. Mm-hmm. Right. And when they get attacks, um, they generally go, do go to hospital and they generally just, just treat it and it brings you back to normal. It'd be like somebody with insulin. You know, once somebody gets an injection, they go back to normal. But in this case, because of the second epileptic episode, um, it may have damaged uh, his thinking yeah. or his brain in some way. So that um, when he left the hospital, when we look at him in CCTV, he definitely didn't look himself, Patricia. Yeah. Definitely. And it really upsets us. It looks like... He was lost, I suppose, really, is the, is the way you put it. And, um, yeah, disorientated, you know, it's, it's memory, his memory, his he family. was, yeah, he was unsure where he was. And, and I'm thinking, Carl, I mean, it, you're his, you know, much loved uncle and, and I'm thinking of the rest of the family, but his wife and, and three daughters, God, it, it's been, it must be hell what they're going through. Well, there'll be people out there who, you know, I went to an event in Crow Park there about six weeks ago, National Missing Persons Day, and we met other people and who unfortunately have, have, have suffered this tragedy, I suppose. And uh, the one thing you learn is just how common, the, common it is. And the people who were there, some of them, the people have been missing for five years, 10 years, there's people who they're still searching after 30 years. Oh. And it's something that never leaves you. It, it's like, I suppose, hate. They said I don't want to upset listeners this morning or anybody, but it is a little bit of a living nightmare in a sense of you just don't know. Uh, you're always wondering, where is he? Is he OK? Um, because John could be out there somewhere, 
he could be out there somewhere with people not knowing we're looking for him. Um, I have talked to people and the people of Cork have been great. We've met many people on our searches because we've all been out searching. I was down in Cork. I lived in Cork for two, I'm living in Dublin, but I was down in Cork living for over two months myself, out searching every day with his friends and other extended members of family. And we're still down every week. Um, but we meet people in our searches who empathize with us and who know people who've uh, been in a similar situation where people have gone missing and have been found in strange places, you know, months and months and months later because of this disorientation that, that can come with the condition. Yeah, you know? and that's the hope and that's the hope that you will cling on to. But, the, you know, the fact, uh, Cahill, that it was so close to uh, Porky Cueve, we know that's close uh, to the river, yeah. I'm assuming there's also an acceptance that he's may have passed away. Well, there is that. I mean, we went down. I mean, a huge number of his friends came down. And thanks to Katrina Toomey and Penny Dinners uh, and to the guards and to all the local agencies down there, Mallow Search and Rescue, John and his team. And They're Christmas great. Team, and Cork Missing Persons. I mean, they've all been fantastic. So we've searched um, all the land, all around Atlantic Pond, um, Skewered Road, uh, Mahan, everywhere, all where, where we think John could go to, all around the entries and the exit points to the Greenway where he was last seen. Um, and we've searched them, you know, in the bushes, in the shrubs with sticks and whatever. We've had cadaver dogs down there. Um, and also the teams from... Mallow Search and Rescue and, and, and uh, Cork Missing Persons have been out on the River Lee every day searching not just with binoculars but with sonar and all the technical equipment that they have. And it's just quite extraordinary that we've come up with nothing, nothing yet. Nothing, yeah. Yeah, but no, and no, no sighting uh, at all. I mean, after that last uh, sighting in the, in the small hours at, at Porky Cueve, there's nothing. It's, it's, it's almost like well, he's, he's disappeared into thin air, Carl. Well, there is one possible sighting, uh, Patricia Vermeen, is where I would like to appeal to your listeners in a way, is that we do have a possible sighting, people going on holidays. Now, unfortunately, it's not covered by any CCTV or anything, so it can't be um, corroborated. But they are pretty sure they saw him out around Cork Airport on okay. that morning of Monday, the 21st of August, um, around about... Uh, 3.45 or 4 a.m. So the Ballygarvey district. Now, I, I've walked from the Greenway past the Skewered Road through Douglas out to Cork Airport. Um, beautiful countryside out there. And he could have, because he's familiar with Cork, he might have decided to get to Cork Airport to jump a bus somewhere or a taxi or whatever. And we're just thinking, you know, could he have visited a shed or an outhouse an outhouse um, in some rural location to rest. Um, and it could be anywhere in Cork, actually. It doesn't necessarily just have to be uh, the Belly area. But if we would ask people to go out and maybe check sheds or outhouses that maybe they haven't in a while and just see, has anybody been there? Would there be any sign that somebody's been there, that John may have uh, rested there? Because any clue uh, at we'll all help, yeah. will be a huge help. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's really difficult. I I I take it Christmas was a tough time, Carl, for all the family. It was. It was 
as, as you can imagine, it is very tough. But funnily enough, you know, the one thing that keeps us going, Patricia, is hope. We're still hoping. We're still praying. We're still searching. We still have people down in Cork every single week. Uh, we're still keeping in close contact with all the wonderful agencies that I mentioned to you. And uh, they haven't given up hope either. Um, mm. Because, as I said, it was so out of character for John, you know, um, with the three, his beautiful wife and his three wonderful kids. Unless we think, you know, um, something befell him and he had an accident or whatever, we still think very much so he's out there. Yeah, hang on to and, that hope. Hang on to that and uh, e- hope. Yeah, and even the fact that we've searched, you know, uh, so thoroughly that we think he might be just beyond the radius of uh, that marina area and could be somewhere out in, you know, the rural side of Cork and even beyond, even Mallow and beyond, um, you know, where you okay. and very okay. lovely listeners are. All right, uh, Carl, and we have all of your contact uh, details and I know it's Mayfield uh, Guard the Station uh, that are... No, it's not. It's not Patricia. Ma- uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, it's going to... Just it's actually the Anglesey Street Garden okay. Station. Okay, all right, it's Anglesey, Anglesey Street, Street Garden Station. Okay, yeah. and can I give you a, a, a phone number? Oh, please do, yeah. Because yeah. we have a, a, a dedicated line that just goes to family. Okay, so it doesn't go to anybody else. It's completely confidential. So anything anybody wants to report, and no matter how small it is, uh, this number is, and they can even just text us, so they don't even have to call us. It's zero eight three. Four six two two five nine eight. I'll just repeat that if I may, Patricia. It's zero eight three four six two two five nine eight, or actually any Garda station, okay. Anglesey Road, or any Garda station. Um, they they have John's details. Okay, so, and we'll keep uh, that'll, we'll, that'll be wonderful. We'll keep all of that uh, on file. Listen, um, Carl, thinking of you and all of uh, the family, and thanks a million for sharing uh, John's story with us this morning. Listen to you and to your team, to everybody in Cork. Thank you so much. You're, you're really wonderful in your support. Really appreciate it. God bless. Thank you. God bless. Take care. Bye bye. That is uh, Cahal Keevney. That is just, it's, isn't it? Every family's worst nightmare to have somebody go missing. And I thought it was interesting to hear Cahal mention the Missing Persons Day that now has become an annual event uh, in December. God, little did the did Cahill's family think this time last year that they would be attending a Missing Persons Day but remember that Missing Persons Day was set up because of the students of Davis College in Mallow which they started that project and worked really really hard at it and managed to get it to a national day where it now is and it is marked every year and it's an opportunity for families who have had a loved one just simply go missing and it is it is a living nightmare for all of those families so we wish the Keevening family the very best of luck Now, while discussing the latest survey from the Irish Business Against uh, Litter yesterday, the inspectors noted that dog fouling signage in Mahan was great to see. As as they say, it reminds people that dog fouling is litter. So what resources are needed to try to tackle what everyone sees as a scourge in our towns and villages? Kerry Galine, Fianna Fáil Councillor Seamus McGrath uh, joins me with his uh, views on this. Uh, Good morning to you, Seamus. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Seamus, and I take it there isn't a councillor across Cork County Council that doesn't have people complaining about dog fouling? Yeah, look, it's a it's a common issue uh, that we, we regularly hear from our constituents about. Um, it's a significant problem. Um, as you say, litter and dog fouling, they're the same thing. Um, and 
unfortunately you don't have to go too far in villages and towns in parks in community parks and so on to come across dog fouling um so it is a significant issue and it's one we've discussed ad nauseum at meetings as you can imagine to see how we could come up with innovative ways of trying to deal with it and trying to tackle it i think the councils to be fair are quite good at awareness campaigns and information campaigns and trying to work with schools for example to instill good behavior and responsible dog ownership behavior um, and look let's be fair the vast vast majority of dog owners are responsible and do the right thing but unfortunately there is a small minority who don't uh, and it pre- presents significant problems out there for our communities and you know it isn't just a nuisance <clears throat> excuse me it's not just a nuisance issue it's actually a significant health and safety issue Um, you know dog fowl can be a serious um, disease carrier for example and there are there are instances where People have children and so on have picked up serious diseases as a result of coming into contact with dog fowl. Yeah, so I, I spoke with a woman a couple of years ago whose little boy ended up in, in hospital in ICU and was very, very uh, unwell. But I did see that in the 10 month period uh, last year, Cork County Council issued just six fines for dog fouling. Is it simply too difficult to catch the dog owner that's responsible? Is, is that the issue the yeah. Cork County Council has? It, it, Look, I suppose there are a couple of issues, Patricia, like number one, I think we, we certainly need more resources in this area and across Car County, for example, I think there are a total of about eight dog wardens, I think five are full time, three are part time and that's covering a vast area across Car County, which, as you know, um, is, is a huge area and unfortunately that number of wardens on the ground isn't sufficient in my view and, and that's something we can come back to in a minute, but you're right. I mean, the, the actual process of a dog warden issuing a fine can be quite cumbersome and quite difficult for the warden. So, number one, they either need to personally witness the dog fouling and then be able to attach that dog to an owner. So, for example, if a dog is just wandering around, it can be difficult to actually attach the dog to an owner. Um, they, they relay stories to me where they get false names, for example, from people they meet um, in, in parks and, and so on when they're going about doing their business. Um, or if, if they're receiving complaints from members of the public, they actually need a member of the public to make a written statement and be prepared to stand over that statement. So it's quite restrictive. It's quite difficult. And like the, the dog wardens would say to you when you speak with them, that they, they would love to be in a position to issue more fines, to be able to get out there more actively on the enforcement campaign, um, but that they, they need more powers, they need more resources. And, and the way that fines are issued and the rules around it need to be looked at. Um, and look, nobody is asking wardens to go out there issue fines willy-nilly. That's not what we're asking, but we are we are asking, I suppose, that we have an increase in wardens on the ground because I think they do actually act as a preventative measure as well. I mean, if you see a dog warden walking around a community park, a town park, etc., um, main streets, up and down villages, uh, I think it will act as a preventative measure as yeah, well. And definitely act will, as, it, as a deterrent. It's like when people yeah, see a speed yeah. van, they, they instantly slow, slow down. Could CCTV cameras be used? Um, I think it's very limited from my understanding because, again, you need... You, that would require the wardens having the powers then to go along and identify people through the footage and so on. I don't believe I don't believe that's that's the uh, tool that's used. I don't need to have those powers. Like I know from speaking with the wardens, if someone gives them a false name, for example, they might know in their heart and soul that the name is false, but they have to take it down and they have to go through the procedures, even though they're quite sure someone is is not telling them the truth. And you know, for example, Gardy would have far more powers in that instance, whereas a dog warden wouldn't. Um, so we do need to look at it and we do need to try and work with them. You know, they do their best on the ground. They are out there. There aren't enough of them and the system needs to change. To OK, and someone them. else and is someone who is a responsible pet owner says, I always pick up after my dog. There's not enough dog litter bins. 
Yeah, and look, that look, I accept that issue too. I accept that issue too. But I think we do have to be clear here that the absence of bins is not in any way an excuse for not picking up, you know, after your dog or for littering. I mean, I, I often hear that argument. Um, and I completely accept we need more bins across the county, whether they be dog fouling bins or litter bins. But it still isn't an excuse for not doing the right thing. You know, and I think we need to be very clear on that. You have to come up with an alternative. You have to take the waste away with you. You have to you have to deal with it. But I do accept we do need more bins. And yeah, th- and, and I know if you point. talk to people with um, the tidy towns, you know, people who are responsible and have their doggy bags with them. But then clean, picking up after their their dog and then tossing it into a ditch. That's defeating yeah, the I purpose. That's that's not acceptable. That isn't a, an appropriate way to dispose of it. But just on the dog warden's position, I think, you know, dog fouling is a significant issue and I know that's that's the main purpose of our conversation. But I suppose I actually raised the issue of, you know, restricted breed dogs, for example, in our council meeting in November. You know, we've had a number of dog attacks on, on humans, on children, on livestock across the county and across the country over over recent times. Um, and that's a very, very serious issue. Um, and there are particular rules around restricted breeds, such as pit bull terriers and so on like that, that they need to be muzzled in public. They need to be under effective control and so on like that. And again, as a councillor, and I'm sure others would agree, they've received complaints from members of the public saying, look, we, we someone next to us has a, a restricted breed. The dog isn't muzzled when it's out in public, etc. So all of that forms part of a dog warden's role. And it's a very, very important role. We know the devastation that can be caused if a serious incident happens. And if there is an attack on a child, for example, you know, they can have life changing injuries. So the, the role of a dog warden is an, is an incredibly important role. They have a significant role to play out there. And that is why I'm certainly calling that we, 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 we look for more resources to get more dog wardens on the okay. road. Okay. And to try and I'm, I'm over on time. Of, so, of, somebody's bringing okay. up about the XL bullies that are now illegal in the UK. I think there's something coming in here uh, in Ireland as well um, I, I, on that one. Uh, anyway, listen, I've got to leave it there because I'm over on time. Listen, Seamus, thank you for that because it's an issue I can see lots of texts and comments coming in about because it's one of those issues that really, really desperately frustrates people. So appreciate talking to you. We'll talk again, but thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is Carrigaline Councillor Seamus McGrath. Yesterday, we had a slew of calls and texting from people saying that Andrew's liver salts is still available. One of our listeners, her dad, was desperately trying to get it and wasn't able to source it. Whether wherever he was shopping, had just wasn't able to stock it. But certainly, there was a lot of people saying it is still available. So hopefully, that gentleman got sorted out. Well, that prompted Joe and Kilmalik to contact contact us with another one of those unusual requests. He is looking for old flower bags. Now he needs them for a project that he's working on. Don't know what the project is but he's trying to get his hands on the old flower bags which were made from some kind of a material. Were they a hessian or something that they were made from? Anyway, does anybody know where our Joe in Kilmalik can get his hands on the old flower bags? If so, you can call John Paul who by the way has been helped out on the phones this morning by Stephen to 0818 103 103. If anybody knows where Joe in Kilmalik get his hands on old flower bags. Now, whenever we mention the topic of dog fouling, which we've done this morning uh, with uh, Councillor Seamus McGrath, we always get inundated with calls and texts about it. And just coincidentally, if you have a copy of the examiner today, there's a big uh, spread in the examiner 
It's a, a feature today uh, written by Alison O'Reilly where she is focusing on a young blind woman. This is a 22-year-old Roisin Lenahan. She's from County Mayo and she's beginning the, well, it's a difficult process of learning to go out and about and to walk on her own and she's been trained with the use of a long white uh, cane and she's you know, wants to get her own little bit of independence. 22-year-old doesn't more, always want mammy or daddy her to the shop so she's trying to get her own independence so she's learning on this long and long white uh, cane but this article is talking about the difficulties that this young uh, lady Roisin is coming up uh, against you know she's talking about you know people leaving street furniture out wheelie bins is a huge area people parking up on footpaths but coincidentally in the article this young woman talks about dog fouling and she says dog fouling is a huge issue she said unfortunately her cane can get stuck if there's a lot of dog poo and um, she said only if only that a sighted person is with her to tell her and to warn her because if you've ever seen anybody using one of those long white canes when they finish their walk and you know if they want to go into a shop or whatever they have to fold up the cane and of course they have to fold it up and if it's covered in dog poo it ends up all over their hands it is quite quite uh, disgusting and it, it, Roisin the, the, this young blind woman said uh, and I quote having the white stick will detect any obstacles on the ground but it won't detect dog fouling. It would be great if people considered this when out walking their dogs. So think of that uh, young person, uh, please. Now, some of your calls and texts in. Tricia, on dog fouling, I always pick up after my dogs. I have a bag that straps around my waist and that's where I put the used bags into it until I get home. The streets of Bandon are a disgrace with dog fouling. Up the river side of Riverview Shopping Centre is an utter disgrace. I've seen the wheels of people's buggies destroyed on the footpaths in Bandon. It is simply not good enough, says a listener. Someone says dog fouling is terrible. Why are owners so ignorant? Terrible for disabled people, especially those in wheelchairs. We're tormented with the problem on the Trishan Road area of Mill Street, even though, says this listener, there are bins there, but still people won't pick up after their dogs. Another listener says, I live on uh, in Shidani and I walk my dogs along the paths, not on the beach. I walk them on the path. I do it every day and every day I pick up after my dogs. But there is nowhere to deposit the bags when they are filled. Big problem. There should be more litter bins. There's none on, in, in, in Shidani. And someone else with a similar problem says there's hardly any dog litter bins in Cork. The new walk to the Tremor Valley has none. The Mangala in Douglas have one. I pick up after my dogs all the time, but it's so frustrating. The amount of people who moan about it when the council should be putting more of these bins in place. I have, by the way, contacted by both Cork City and Cork County Council over this and yet to get a reply and that particular listener wasn't happy with when I did put that point to Councillor Seamus McGrath that there isn't enough uh, bins and he did accept it. He did accept that there wasn't enough but she wasn't happy. This listener wasn't happy with uh, that reply. On dog uh, fouling last year, this is from Michael in Bantry. says, last year, Patricia, I remember you did an interview on your programme about taking DNA samples from dog waste in order to be able to trace the owner via a, a microchip. Is there any update on that? Yet yeah, it was a suggestion 
uh, that gets spoken about quite a lot. It would be a way you take a you take a bit of the poo, you test it, you get check the DNA, and then you'd be able to find out who the who who would, what dog it belonged to, and there subsequently then you could find the owner. A lot of work involved in that for a start. Every single dog would have to be microchipped. Every dog would have to have its DNA logged into the microchip system. It's it's trying to get that off the ground, but certainly yes, it's it's something that has been spoken about uh, for quite some time. And hi, Patricia. I just listened to somebody says Councillor Seamus uh, James McGrath, Councillor Seamus McGrath on your program. He is the most accomplished speaker I've listened to for a long time. I don't know him, but he's a man with a bright future in politics. If he continues down that road, well, Councillor Seamus McGrath will be delighted to hear that. No name on that uh, text. Thank you for that. And then at the top of the program, I mentioned about this uh, survey that's out that it was asking people, do you watch female sporting events? And, you know, and if not, why not? And do you watch men's sporting events? And it showed that 59, nearly 60% of Irish people admitted they have never, ever, ever attended a women's sporting event. And then they were asked, well, have you attended a male sporting event? And it was less than 30 hadn't attended a male. A male. So, so they go to the men's ones, but they're not going to the women's one. And one of the other questions that was asked was to name an Irish female sports star. And almost half of the respondents instantly jumped in with Katie Taylor, but fewer than one in 10 was able to name any other female sporting star unless they were given a little bit of prompting. So I was asking people without doing any research, without Googling or doing anything like that, could you name and who would you name if you were stopped on the street? Who would you name as your Irish female sporting uh, star? Still getting in a lot of texts on uh, this one. Someone says there are so many women sports stars and yes, Katie Taylor would be well up there. Katie McCabe in soccer, Elaine Keane in swimming, Sunita Pushpore, Rajid Adelecki, Rachel Blackmore and Rena Buckley and Breach Corkery. They were legends in ladies football and camogie. And now, of course, as this texture, we have Amy O'Connor, who scored three goals and seven points in last year's Camogie uh, final, yeah. Uh, Anne says, women in sport, Breach Corkery for Camogie, Sunita Pushpore, world champion rower, Christina Desmond, Irish international boxer, Leona Maguire in golf. Yeah, that's another name that hasn't been mentioned. Well done, Anne. Uh, Tom says, Rachel Blackmore, a brilliant jockey, has got to be mentioned. And then Mary uh, and then Denise O'Sullivan, Irish world soccer player, says uh, Mary. OK, so still getting in suggestions on that. Thank you for that. 0818-103-103. And your thoughts on... A story that uh, broke yesterday and it's making a lot of the papers uh, today and I see the Justice Minister Helen McEntee is actually saying that it really was just a bit of good luck and good fortune that there was no fatalities. This was after the 14 asylum seekers, including two children, were found in the back of a lorry at Rosslare Europort. The port's terminal was taken over by the emergency services and it was the early hours of Monday after the migrants were found hidden in a refrigerated trailer and they were on a ferry having arrived from France but just doesn't it show the lengths that people go to try to get to a safe country for a better life. The 12 adults of which two were children uh, were found when one of the adults thankfully rang the British police to inform them that they were inside in the container 
on board the ferry. Now, the Garda Síochána then uh, took over and they went to the to the terminal building to meet the ferry on arrival. Obviously, the National Ambulance Service was on hand to administer medical attention and all of the people inside the trailer were understood, thankfully, to be in good health. And once they were fully checked out, they were then sent to City West in Dublin and that's where their application has been uh, processed. And a Garda confirmed that the nationality of all those in the trailer were primarily uh, Kurdish. Now the Justice Minister Helen McEntee, she said extremely concerned to hear of the discovery of the 14 people and the fact that two of them were children and particularly the fact that it was a refrigerated uh, lorry and she went on obviously to thank the emergency services and she says we know from past experience that similar situations have led to tragic fatalities. She said it was an extremely hazardous undertaking and she said it's only fortuitous that the same did not happen yesterday. And we can go back to 2001 when there was 13 people were discovered in a container on the back of a truck when it arrived into Ireland. It had come via Ross Lair and the Europort and eight of the people, including four children, had suffocated and uh, died. So we were uh, extremely lucky that there was no fatalities uh, yesterday, but just shows the lengths that people go uh, to get to safety. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls along with Seamus this morning. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Kingston Refrigeration, they are based in Dunmanway. They've got a vacancy for an office administrator. It's for a 12-month contract. CVs to info at kingstonmuller.ie. The O'Connor Brothers in Kiskame are looking for an apprenticed carpenter and labourer, 87 207-3415 Teleporter Driver is wanted for a development site in Mayfield CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com and a mechanic is wanted for a full or part-time basis it's to work on cars 4x4s and rally cars in the Roscarbury area Jason is your contact 87 67 29485. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, we've had a number of calls and texts in from listeners this week who say they are shocked by increases in their health insurance premiums, with many saying they never expected the increases to be so high. So, as people struggle, especially with everything continuing to be so expensive, Dermot could of total healthcover.ie once again uh, joins us uh, with advice. Good morning to you, Dermot. Good morning, Patricia. And a happy new year uh, to you. Now, now we did speak to you uh, last uh, last month in December where you were warning uh, people that when health insurance providers announce increases, it's only an average increase that they highlight. And you were warning people that we would, when you were getting your premium, it was going to go up. Exactly. And, and really, Patricia, just to remind all of your listeners, they, they need to brace themselves, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, <clears throat> for a shock when they open that renewal notice because two things have happened. Well, actually, three things now, but, but the, two, the, the first two things. Number one, you're absolutely right. They use these average figures, but for a lot of people on the most popular plans, the increase is going to be double the average. So if they say 3%, you need to expect 6 
But then the second thing is people have forgotten that, yes, the rates went up last October and July, but they also went up earlier in 2023, back in January, March and April. So coming everybody's way is not just one, but it's two increases together. And then the cumulative impact of that is anything 15, 20 percent. So that's why people and everybody is shocked now when they see the increases. And it's, it's right across all three insurance companies. And then just when we thought it was you know, safe to go back in the water on the 1st of January, <clears throat> a bigger part of Irish life, bring in another increase. Now, we did know about that one. But then VHI increases their, or has increased the rates on 12 of their corporate plans uh, by anything from 2 to 10%. And Leia Healthcare has done likewise on about 14 of their corporate plans by anything from 2 to 6%. So unfortunately, we are now in this cycle of frequent price increases. So really, Patricia, what it means for all of your listeners is, number one, brace themselves for, for a shock when they open that letter. Now, the thing is, what are they going to do about it? And my advice to all of your listeners is you now must shop around. You know, these increases can be avoided, particularly for people who haven't reviewed their cover for many years or they're stayed on the same plan. And they now have to shop around because these these increases are just too substantial. And when I say shop around, Patricia, all I'm asking your listeners to do is make one phone call to the existing insurance company and just simply tell them, look, I can't afford that increase. And uh, can you find me an equivalent, a very similar equivalent plan to what I have that is cheaper than what I have? And tell them what your budget is. So, for example, if last year my, I was paying 2000 and now I've got a bill for 2600 just simply tell them I can only afford what I paid last year, which was 2000 Now, what's the best deal you can offer me that fits that budget? And bear in mind, Patricia, they'll have all your claims on the screen in front of them. So if they do suggest a plan to you that fits the budget, well, then keep them on the phone and get them to explain exactly now how does that plan compare to my current plan. And then if you really like what they're offering, then just get them to check your previous claims. And if you are on the hypothetically, if you're on the new plan, would those claims be paid to you know a similar amount? And if you like what you hear, then why wouldn't you why wouldn't you change? And if that doesn't give you good value, you simply repeat that process with the other two. Now, some of your listeners straight away, Patricia, will think. Well, my renewal was the 1st of January, so I, I, I'm too late. No, they're not. Even if you've already confirmed your, your premium and paid the premium, it doesn't matter. You have a 14-day cooling-off period. So anybody whose renewal was the 1st of January, you actually have up until Friday, Saturday of this week. So still loads of time to yeah, engage. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Are the insurance companies justified in putting up their premiums? Well, here's the thing. Whenever we see an increase coming through that then is mirrored by the other insurance companies, you know, we know the claims have literally fallen off the edge of the cliff in terms of the volume and the, um, the, the I suppose, the actual cost of claims. We know that has been happening. It's been happening for the last 12 to 18 months. I suppose what has surprised us is that the increases that they brought in in early 2023, that they weren't sufficient. In other words, they under budgeted for the expected increase in claims. Um, but it does look like there's a number. Now, I'm not here to defend the insurance companies, Patricia, but when we see all three going up by similar percentages and we know from talking with the hospitals, we know that every every input, you know, every cost driver for the hospitals has increased hugely in premium, whether it's electricity, gas, whether it's the labor costs and also the cost of these new, new robotic procedures, the cost of new cancer drugs. They're all increasing all the time. So I suppose Whilst we all love price reductions and we all like when our premium doesn't go up, if I look back to 2022, 
the insurance companies in hindsight probably shouldn't have given money back and they shouldn't have held the premium static because medical inflation was still running at 8 to 10%. They should have passed on a small increase in 2022, which probably would have meant we would have had maybe smaller increases, uh, you know. But it, softens, it would softened the blow. It would. But you know what, though, Patricia, in saying that, I'm a consumer like anybody else. When I get an... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Notification to say, you know, there'll be no increase. I'm not going to complain about that. So, you know, but look, we're in a different era now. Rates are spiraling and they're going to continue to increase Now, what I would say to your listeners, maybe just by way of reassurance on this, anybody who renewed in December, the increases that are coming in the 1st of January, they won't hit them till the end of this year. That's number one. Number two, Patricia, there are new plans. There are new deals coming out all the time. So think of it like this. The reason why I'm always advocating these corporate plans is because the insurance companies have to look after the most most important blue chip clients. And they want to keep them happy. So they're launching new deals all the time that are targeted at these corporate clients. But one of the good things about the legislation in Ireland, every plan is available to every consumer. So irrespective of your age, you know, your occupation, your health status, you can join these plans just like anybody else. So there are still buried amongst the 340 plans. There are still brilliant deals. And to give your listeners an example, you know, which I always like to do, like really good semi-private corporate plans right now that anybody can join. Um, Health Guide 2 from Irish Live Health, it's about 1,420. Uh, similar price with Leia is the Inspire Plus scheme. And then VHI have their PMI 3513. That's about 1,510 euro. Like Patricia, they are examples of really good semi-private corporate plans 
um, that give you money back on all your routine expenses and so on. So really, people have to engage with the insurance companies. If you don't pick up the phone, they don't have time to contact you. You're not going to find out about these deals. And even for any of your any families listening now, Leia, for example, have just brought out a deal where you pay for the first child under 18 and the remaining children under 18 are free. Oh, so, for good. example, like any of your listeners now who have a family who are with Leia, they might very well be on a plan with Leia where they're paying for every child. And they could phone up Leia and simply put the second and third child on the Flex 125 Explore, and they might that might save them €300 Euro per child. So there still are savings there for everybody, but you now either do it yourself or get an advisor. But the key thing is don't auto-renew. And that just means, Patricia, they let the existing policy roll over. And if you do that, you're going to be hit by these increases, but you're also going to miss out on all these new deals that they've launched. Okay, someone says, could you ask uh, Dermot, uh, please, can you switch health insurance plans to a different insurer mid-term? And is there a cost involved in doing that? Yeah, no, it's a a very good question. So look, anybody who's with Irish Life Health or with Leia Healthcare, the good news for them is irrespective of their renewal date, those two insurance companies will allow you to amend your cover either upwards or downwards with them. So you still have to stay with them. VHI will only let you amend your cover from your renewal date. So, you know, the renewal date with VHI is is critical. Now, we never advise people to switch insurer mid-year because I tell you, Patricia, there's a risk. First of all, you'll get hit with cancellation fees, but there also it could it could affect some of the claims that you've incurred but haven't yet been submitted to the insurance company. So really our advice to people is if you're thinking of switching to a completely different insurer, you know, do it at renewal. But anybody with Irish Life or with Leia Healthcare, you know, if you're struggling, if you're finding the cost is just too prohibitive, you can phone up Leia and Irish Life Health today and discuss other options with them you know, to try and find a better deal. But the key thing is, though, Patricia, I would say to anybody, before you phone them up, decide on your budget. How much can I afford? And even if you're thinking of joining, what's your budget? So when you phone them up, tell them the budget. It doesn't compromise your negotiating position at all because all the prices are set. It just means it'll be a much more focused, much more relevant conversation and challenge them to find you the best deal that fits within that budget, you know. And if you're not happy, then try the other two insurance companies and see what they have to offer but the key thing is to phone them up, you know, okay. and get them to yeah, check because, all the plans. Because I, was, I saw a consumer survey from the Health Insurance Authority that is out this morning showing that consumers are still not switching providers uh, our plans. Uh, and even though 75% of people review their plans uh, every year, 71% have never switched. Yeah, do, do you know what, Patricia, I am... Um, I haven't looked, I haven't, I, obviously we would never get access to the criteria behind that data. I mean, I know a lot of people don't switch insurance company, but 50% of the people we deal with switch to different plans with the same insurer. Um, I don't know if that's captured within the data, but look, you know, these surveys, if, if anything, what I would take from that survey, but even apart from the survey, you know, right now, people, people, there's too much of an inertia factor with health insurance. There's a lot of people have misguided loyalty. There's no such thing as loyalty with health insurance. You do not get rewarded one iota for being loyal to one provider. Um, and the legislation is very protective of consumers. So what I would say once again now to all of your listeners, whatever about last year when there was no increases, you know, but right now these increases are huge. 
And really, you know, it makes no sense whatsoever for people to renew on the same plan without making that one phone call to the existing insurer. And Patricia, you know what, for people who maybe who are not up to the task, they're, you know, they're just worried about making the wrong, wrong decision or changes. Maybe they have underlying conditions. Get a trusted friend, a neighbor, a son, a daughter, get somebody to do it for you because genuinely for people on the older plans, like the Help Plus Extra with VHI, which is the OB options, or the Essential Plus or Flex 125 or the Health Manager schemes with Leia, or the business plans or the Level 2 hospital schemes with Irish Life, those plans that I've mentioned, are they good cover? Yes. Are they good value? Absolutely not. And people on those plans could genuinely save 500 to 1,000 euro per adult and actually get better cover in some respects. That's the key thing. And some people are shocked when they, when they, they realize that. And once again, for your listeners, the longer you're on the same plan, you know, if you're spending more than 2,000 euro per adult, but if you're on the same plan for 5, 10, 15 years or more, the longer, Patricia, you're on the same plan, the, the higher the potential savings and the higher the probability that you'll actually get better cover by switching, sometimes with the same insurance company. Yeah, and, and I know I'd say absolutely every time we have you on the programme, we inevitably will have somebody contact us uh, the following week uh, to say they looked into the health cover on behalf of their uh, elderly parents who hadn't changed in many, many years and that brand loyalty and have stuck with the same plan and you know, people blown away by how much they managed to save their mum and dad. And Linda's just been on to say at the moment she's working on her elderly parents' uh, health cover uh, they fall into that category. They haven't changed in years but she wants to know why do they need to include maternity cover in their plan yeah and it's a really good question and what i would say once again to linda to all your listeners you're going to see items on your plan maternity convalescence psychiatric substance abuse and so forth everybody gets that on the plan and the reason why that's there it has no real impact on the premium you see, there's a piece of legislation called minimum benefits and minimum benefits, it, it compels the insurance companies to include benefit for a whole range of things on every plan. Now, it might seem ridiculous to some people, which I can understand, but that there's a clear logic behind this. They want to make sure that the insurance companies can't pick and choose what benefits they want to cover, because if that were the case, Patricia, no insurance company, for example, would cover psychiatric. Mm-hmm. You know, in other jurisdictions outside of Ireland, you get one day on some plans for psychiatric. In Ireland, the law states every plan must provide 100 days. So I would say to all of your listeners, don't worry about the constituent part of the plan, because if you see benefits on your plan that aren't relevant to you, ignore that. It makes no difference. They must be on the plan. The key thing is, are you on the right plan? And, you know, like if anybody listening now, as I say, has been on the same plan for five years, if you're spending more than 1900 2000 euro if you've never looked at a corporate plan if you're not getting 50 to 75 percent back on your gp visits and consultants visits if you don't have a small excess on the plan and so forth they're all indicators that you are on old cover and therefore overpaying you know and bear in mind once again patricia those corporate plans are available to, to everybody. everyone like for example like patricia just to you know if anybody wanted really good corporate plan cover like, for example, the principal scheme with Leia, it's about €1,740. The Health Guide 3 with Irish Life, 1679 The PMI 4810 with VHI, €1,810. Brilliant plans. They cover private room and private hospitals. You know, like, let's just say, for example, the Bonds and Cork, the Matter Private Cork. But they also give you 75% back on GP and consultants fees. People need to be checking out those plans because... 
the irony is some of the older plans I mentioned don't give you those benefits. Yeah. You know, so okay. it's, um, it's really okay. well worth You're, you're a mine of like information that. and your website uh, also is, is a must uh, place to log on, totalhealthcover.ie. Pleasure as always, Derma. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And thanks Thank uh, for joining us. That is Derma Gooden. As I say, I guarantee you next week we'll hear from people uh, who would have listened to my chat with Dermot and will have saved money and that's what it's all about. So please do not auto-renew when your health insurance premium arrives if it hasn't arrived yet because a, a, a huge number of people um, in this the month of January will be getting their renewal notification. So please don't auto-renew. Always one eight one zero three one zero three Lines open. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Sadly, we spoke about an increase in cases of animal abuse and neglect with an inspector from the Irish Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals on Monday on the programme and included in our chat with the ISPCA was the ongoing problem faced by all animal rescues and animal charities who have never been under so much pressure. So with that in mind, we're going to focus on Rower in West Cork this morning because they're in need of volunteers in order to continue their work. And to to explain more, I'm joined by Jennifer Carroll, who's coordinated with Rower in Bantry. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very good. Always a pleasure to speak with you and Happy New Year indeed to you and the rest of the gang in West Cork. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to speak to you. Now, firstly, I suppose it's important uh, to point out that um, everyone within your organisation works on a voluntary basis. You've absolutely yes. no paid staff. No, no, we have no paid staff. Everyone is a volunteer. All the money that we, we get in donations and everything goes straight towards the um, the animals. Okay, which is which is important because, and I know I understand that other charities have to employ people, but you're one of the charities that absolutely, hundred percent of the money goes to the animals. You're looking for volunteers, Jennifer, for your charity shop. I suppose tell me a little bit about the shop first. Well, um, we've a charity shop. It's in it's in Bantry. It's um, open six days a week. Um, and it's run entirely by volunteers and we're kind of looking for anyone that might be, you know, it's a new year, everybody's got new resolutions coming or, you know, they might decide they want to do something different. Um, so if anybody's got some spare time, you know, if, if they have a background in retail, that would be a bonus. Um, we're looking for people to, to volunteer, maybe to do one or two shifts a week. And the shifts in the shop are kind of from 10.30 to 1.30 and then 1.30 till 4.30. Um and, you know, there will be training supplied and, you know, given on the day. Um, there's, a, you know, a rotor for cleaning and things like that. Um, and it's just basically, it's where we get most of our funding from. It's our primary source of income. Um, and obviously, if we can't get the volunteers, then we might have to reduce the hours of shops open. Well, that would be real, that'd be real pity. What, what do you sell? Is it a typical charity shop? It's, it's kind of a typical charity shop. We do kind of, you know, bric-a-brac. Um, we do have some kind of new items that we get in from time to time. We do a bit of the Alex Clark collection. Um, and stuff like that as well. But it's primarily bric-a-brac and we do a little bit of, um, uh, you know, dog toys and collars and leads. And we have some volunteers that do hand-knitted dog uh, jumpers as well. Ah, brilliant, like brilliant. But but you don't take, you're, you're not a typical charity shop in that you don't have clothes, rails of clothes. Oh, we do. We, we do have clothes, clothes as, well? as well, yeah. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, we have clothes and we would have, you know, the bits of jewellery and ornaments and things like that as well. So bits okay. of everything. And, and people can donate by just dropping into the charity? They can, yep, yeah. they can, of course. Okay, but it's it's somebody to to fill some of the the shifts is is what you're looking for, and and how many hours, how many shifts do you do you ask volunteers or can they do it's as little or as much? Up, 
it's entirely up to the individual. It's whatever they'd like to do. I mean, if somebody just wants to do one shift once a week and commit to that, that would be fantastic. If they would like to do more, that would be great as well. And it's ideally suited to somebody maybe who's recently retired. Uh, somebody just finds that they've got more time in their hands. It's, yeah, a, it's exactly. a great, also a great way, I think, charity shops, if you're new into an area, to get, like friendships are formed by the other staff, by the other volunteers. Oh, yeah, yeah we, we kind of every so often try and organise um, a little coffee morning so everybody gets to do a bit of a meet and a greet and a chat and a catch up and things like that. Um, and, you know, depending on how many people we have, there's usually at least two people working a shift. So, you know, you have somebody there. And of course, there's always the, the chat from customers coming in and out. Yeah. So it's a great way to meet people yeah. that way as well. It's a great, so it can be a great social outlet for, for yeah, sure. Exactly. Now, the trap neuter in return that I've spoken with you about many, many times in the past, is that still the main focus of your it, work, It Jennifer? would be the primary focus of what we do. I mean, like I say, we do the trap neuter return, we do neutering vouchers, and, and when we do have the funds, then we do the uh, the you know the tackler for a tenor uh, weeks once or twice a year as well depending on how the funding is going. I think last year ballpark we knew about a hundred and oh, sorry uh, four hundred and fifty cats and about sixty dogs. That's fantastic, but that that takes a lot of money to it cover does. the cost. I mean, like I say, our our biggest expense would be our veterinary bills. It, it's our primary expense. And are they are they feral cats that you where do you get the cats from? Um, they could be, like, they'd be feral cats. They could be somebody had a, a stray cat rock up um, and, and they've been feeding it and it's had kittens and, you know, before the numbers explode out of control, they want to get those neutered. Um, you know, it, it could be, so we do help people as well who are, are low income that can't afford to get a cat neutered. Um, like the, the word feral is kind of a very broad term. A lot of these cats would be kind of, we'd class them as stray domestics that they probably did interact with people at some point. Yeah. Um, and they've either, you know, the person has moved away and they've moved on or... You know, they might have been dumped or they've wandered away and things like that. Okay, and I know when I was chatting with um, Caroline from the ISPCA, the inspector, she was at pains to point out how important it is for all pet owners to neuter dogs and oh, cats. Yeah, it's yeah just... absolutely. I mean, look, I know that there is, there's, there's arguments people have against it, but at the end of the day, it's like the, there are so many out there that none of the, re- the rescues can't cope with the numbers. We don't have the spaces there's always going to be more of them in need and there's going to be spaces available. Um, so the way to try and reduce the numbers that need the spaces is to try and get as many as neutered as possible so that eventually, hopefully, the, the amount of, of animals in need of spaces will reduce down. And do you rehome any of the cats? That We, we do rehome from time to time. Like on occasion, we get people looking for, for barn cats. So what we would usually do is if we had somebody who we've previously neutered a lot of cats for that you know, would be looking to try and reduce the numbers, if we get somebody looking for a couple of barn cats, then we'd go back to that person and say, look, you know, we have somebody looking for a couple, we can help reduce them down that way. But it just depends when and if you get the inquiries and things like that. And do you, if a stray cat is arriving into somebody's garden, do you encourage people to feed them? I mean, is that... But generally speaking, by the time we get the, the call, they've already been feeding it for a while. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, look, nature loves a vacuum. The reason that that animal is there in the first place is because there's a resource there for it. So there's food, there's shelter, there's something there. And if you remove that animal from that space, what you're doing is opening up the vacuum so that somebody else will move into it. So the idea with the trap neuter return is you trap the animal, neuter it, send it back. And what it does is it fills the space so that nobody else moves into it. Mm. 
Yeah, and and it's it's a you listen. It's a brilliant scheme. It's absolutely a brilliant scheme that you operate uh, in West Cork, uh, and you can only do it because people donate and people donate and spend money inside in your charity shop. So if there's anybody out there, please, that could donate smallest amount of time give as much time as you can and do as many of the shifts as you can. They can pop into the shop for further details? They can pop into the shop for further details. They can contact us on our Facebook page, um, which is RIWR, Rural Animal Welfare Resources, um, or they could send us an email at info at roar.ie. Okay. Um, and, and they can contact us that way. You do amazing work. Keep it up, uh, Jennifer. It's not just us, it's all the rescue groups I out know. there. Everybody does their I day know, day. there's so many. You know? and, and everybody bursts into capacity, unfortunately. Exactly, yeah. I mean, like, we do we do kind of try and work with some of the local rescue groups. Like, we do a lot of work with West Cork Animal Welfare Group. They're, you know, very good to us. We kind of support each other as best we can. Um, and, you know, it's the important thing to try and get everybody working together if we can. Yeah, responsible pet ownership, it all goes back to that. Listen, Jennifer, pleasure as always. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for Good. having me. Always a pleasure. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Jennifer Carroll of uh, Roar WA. WR, uh, they're roared down in West Court doing amazing work. A listener in Rathmore has just been on to say, uh, wondering if any other listeners are having problems with their Vodafone data network this morning. Listener in Rathmore saying no data or internet available here in Rathmore. Now, is it just isolated to Rathmore? And I don't know if the listener's gotten on to Vodafone or not, but if anybody else, have you had problems with your Vodafone data network this morning? Rathmore, that general area, can you let us know to see is it a widespread issue or is they're just uh, limited to where this particular listener is living. 0818 103 103. Now, here is an email into Cork today at c103.ie and as we always say, you can email us any time of the day or night 24-7 if there's something you want to get off your chest or if in particular you might be looking for advice and thoughts from other listeners and that's what this email uh, is uh, looking for and it reads, Hi Patricia, Happy New Year to you and the team and indeed many happy returns. I heard you highlight a problem a problem a listener was having before Christmas and it was to do with her mother-in-law's driving while minding her grandchildren. That has prompted me to contact you because my problem is also with my mother-in-law but sadly I don't have the luxury of her minding our children. My mother-in-law recently retired from full-time work and we asked her over Christmas if she would help us to cut down on our expensive childminding fees by looking after the children for two or maybe three days a week. Now, we didn't ask her to look after our children full time. We just said two, ideally three days a week. I am shocked to say she point blank looked at me, refused and said she had raised her own children many years ago and nobody helped her out at the time and now in retirement she wants to relax and take up new hobbies. To say both I and my husband were shocked is an understatement as we thought she'd jump at the idea of spending more time with her grandchildren. She has offered to babysit at at, at night but she says she'll only do one night a month and we're going to have to drop and collect which really wouldn't work for us as we live 10 miles apart from her. Are we being selfish here or is my mother-in-law the one that has been selfish? Do other grannies willingly mind their grandchildren whenever they can? Your listeners' thoughts would be very welcomed on this and please, for obvious reasons, uh, withhold my uh, name. Hmm. Yeah. My initial reaction when I read the email was... 
uh, I can see it from your mother-in-law's point of view if she's worked full-time all of her life and she's now come to retirement age 65, uh, 66 and she's obviously been looking forward to giving up the full-time job and having more time on her hands and that is, you know, two two or three days a week. Is it a big commitment to ask somebody to look after the uh, grandchildren? So are the parents here being selfish in asking the mother-in-law who's recently retired to look after the children or would you see it? My, my instinct would tell me you're being selfish. You're just, you know, OK, you've asked, you've asked your mother-in-law, not willing to do it and that's it, end of story. And I know childbind is, is expensive and I know the cost of living at the moment and people are trying to cut back uh, wherever they can. But to, uh, yeah, I'm trying to see it from I'm I'm seeing it weirdly enough from your mother-in-law's point of view, especially when she says, look, you know, I've worked all my life. I want to relax. I want to take up new hobbies. And if she takes on that commitment of having to look after the children, because I'm, I'm assuming there'll be collection from school, giving them something to eat, doing homework with them, all of that, that can be a big commitment. And then on the other side, I can see it from this young couple's point of view, trying to save money wherever they can and in an ideal world if granny was available to look after the children and to do it free of charge it is a way of freeing up money from your budget so I can see it from that side as well but I'm leaning more on the mother-in-law's point of view now I know her point about she raised her own children and nobody helped her out and you know I don't I'm I'm hoping that that wasn't delivered in a nasty way but I have often heard of people of a certain generation say that when I raised all of my own children and there was nobody there to help me out or, you know, to childbind for me so that I could go out uh, to work. So, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that that wasn't delivered in a nasty way, but just trying to put across a point of view that every generation must raise their own children. Anyway, let's see what other listeners think. Who's been the selfish one here? Is it Granny, who now is no longer working full time and therefore has time on her hands and could look after the at the children because I'm assuming she's a sprightly granny so it isn't a case of she's an elderly lady and wouldn't be able to look after the children I mean she wouldn't have been asked except they know that she's capable of looking after the children and obviously the children would love to be spending more time with granny I assume as well or is the grandmother right in this case that she's worked raised her family, then went back out to work full time and now has this free time on her hand that she really, really is looking forward to and she wants to take up new hobbies. And when we were only talking, when I was mentioning the charity shop in in Bantry, the Rower, the animal charity shop, I only was thinking in my head somebody that was retired and maybe had some time on their hands. And that's a kind of a lovely hobby that many retired people take up because it opens up a whole new circle of friends as well. Anyway, your, your thoughts on who's being the selfish one in this particular incident. 0818 103 103 uh, both John Paul and Stephen taking your calls or you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and of course as that listener emailed us we welcome your emails as well uh, Cork today at c103.ie Let me go back to some of your commentary in on other issues that we were addressing this morning the problem of dog poo and dog litter and people not cleaning up after their dogs. It always enrages people whenever that topic comes up. Uh, Teresa says on dog fouling, I live in Skibbereen, the dog fouling on the cul-de-sac road 
leading to Skibbereen Community School is appalling. There is a grass area there, but that grass area is actually full of dog dirt. Uh, One owner that I regularly spot has three Jack Russells and allows the Jack Russells to use that area as their toilet. Never cleans up after the dog. Dogs. Another listener says, Patricia, what evidence does a member of the public need to get in order to have the owner of a dog prosecuted for not cleaning up after their dog? Smartphone, video, photographs, car registration with the owner sitting in the car while the dog is being left off to do their business and not cleaning up after them. It's one of my pet hates. And by the way, I would have no problem confronting somebody and photographing them. Well, I know when I was speaking with Councillor Seamus McGrath and we were talking about the fact that last year for Cork County Council, they only had six dog filing fines and that was in the first 10 months of last year. And one of the excuses, I suppose, and the explanations put forward from the the City Council in particular that they say that one of the biggest barriers that they have to actually catching somebody, the owner of, of the dog, is a lack of eyewitnesses. And then if there is an eyewitness, the lack of the eyewitness willing to go to court. So I know you're saying you would be willing uh, to go to court, but not everybody likes that idea of having to go to court and say, yes, I saw that particular dog fouling and the owner just walked on by and did nothing uh, about it. Hi Patricia, to the people that are contacting you this morning who are moaning about lack of bins for their dog waste, can they not bring it home and bin it themselves? Fair enough, you'll have a small proportion of people who don't have a bin, but everybody has a toilet. And that's signed a regular listener in uh, Canturk. Catherine says on dog fouling, on New Year's Eve, I went to the fireworks display in Bantry and I stood in the biggest dog poo I have ever seen in the middle of the square in Bantry. As you can imagine, hard to spot. It was nighttime. I was so peed off with that dog owner not clearing, cleaning up after their dog and then having to go home and sort out your shoes. Yeah, it really is, it is quite disgusting. Quite, quite uh, disgusting. And a final one in from a listener in McCroom to say people own too many dogs. And that is the reason why puppy farms are so prominent at the moment. People living in the town, I'm assuming this is in the town of McCroom, there are some families who have a number of dogs. They can have one large dog and then a number of small dogs. You'll even see notices in supermarkets about puppies and dogs willing to give to a good home for adoption. There needs to be stricter rules like in Europe where people can't buy a dog unless they can actually prove that they can look after them. 0818103103. John Paul and Stephen taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now, the eagerly awaited Rossmore Variety Show is back this month. It's a huge fundraiser for palliative care, Cancer Connect, Kilmean Community Development Association and Kilmean GAA. The show will run from tomorrow night, Thursday until Saturday of this week and then the following week it's on Thursday and Friday. Tickets are available from gr8events.ie Scroll to Rossmore Variety Show. Inquiries also welcome to 086 07 60 
This afternoon, the Carrigaline Alzheimer, or sorry, tomorrow afternoon, the Carrigaline Alzheimer Cafe will be held between three and five on Thursday. Carrigaline Family Support Centre guest speaker Angela Cronin from Alone, who will discuss supports for people living at home. You can register by contacting Karen at 087 348 Community Development will have their weekly lottery draw tomorrow afternoon. Their jackpot is €11,900. And the Clonakilty Community Care, that's the Thursday night club, that is not going ahead this weekend. And Clondrohad Defibrillator Committee are holding a fundraising charades night. It's this Saturday, 8 o'clock, in the tavern in Clondrohad. Teams of four, 40 euro, all are welcome. A fun night guaranteed with music and food. If you'd like to pre-book a table, call 087 Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, can I say massive uh, reaction to our email from our listener who asked uh, the granny, uh, her mother-in-law, over Christmas, who was recently retired, if uh, she would help them out because they're finding the childbinding fees very expensive and they wanted to cut back and save a bit of money on the expensive childbinding and asked now that their mother-in-law is no longer working full-time, would she be willing to mind the children two or three days uh, per week? And the daughter-in-law was completely taken aback. Um, she, she says, to say we were shocked was an understatement when the mother-in-law looked her in the eye and said, absolutely no way I'm retired. I want to relax and I want to take up new hobbies and went on to say I raised my own children nobody helped me out they're your children go raise them kind of thing Okay Some of your commentary coming in on this Hi Patricia as a recently retired person I would feel exactly like that grandmother this is her time to enjoy new hobbies and the family should simply accept her decision that's from Margaret Someone else says she's not obliged to go from paid work into childbinding it is completely unacceptable expectation that that is another job even if it's only part time two or three days a week she's earned her retirement and she's entitled to spend her time as she wishes and then this one oh my god Patricia what an entitled millennium this poor mother-in-law has reached the point in her life when she can finally do her own thing and the daughter-in-law now wants her to take her grandchildren in order to save them money She's probably scrimped and saved when her own children were little and reared them herself to the best of her abilities. And now little Miss Entitled wants her to give up some of her golden years so she can save money. Not a hope should she do it or should she have even been asked as she said she raised her own family. This daughter-in-law is 100% a selfish little madam. Cop on to yourself, madam, and be responsible for your own brood. Uh, once in a while is OK, but on a full time commitment, no way. And that's signed a granny from North Cork. Someone else says, even before I was a granny, I said to my teenage children, when you go on to have your own children, please, God, I won't be minding any of them. I'll babysit. I'll oblige if you're going to a wedding or you have something on, but nothing else. They've accepted it. I thought that person was being very mean. Her mother-in-law had just retired and then straight away to ask if she'd mind her children 
children two or three days a week. That was a mean, mean thing to do. Anna says the granny is dead right. So many daughters and daughter-in-laws seem to feel entitled to a free childbinding service from grandparents. Many grandparents have their own lives, but they do enjoy meetups and get-togethers on occasions and stay involved in other ways, be it financially or otherwise. I'm not a grandparent, but I do know some who feel pressurised into looking after their grandchildren, even while they're working mainstream jobs themselves, says uh, Anna. Another text says, Madam, that lady who refuses to look after her grandchildren is being selfish. She is being given to be with them two or three times a week. How many other grandparents would love that opportunity and would jump at it with both hands. And that's from John, who says as as a grand as as a male, as a grandfather, he would jump at the opportunity if he was asked to mind his grandchildren. And that's what the grandma should do in this case. Okay, some of your WhatsApps in. The parents of these children are very selfish. The retired mother in law is dead right. It's her time to enjoy her retirement. I'm sure she loves seeing her grandchildren, but there's a huge difference in visiting and minding the children all day, which involves feeding, changing nappies, naps, dropping them to and from school, etc. My mother was 57 when my son was born and she made it very clear she had raised her own children and she wasn't going to start again. She was happy to help out for a few hours if I had an appointment or something like that, but she certainly wasn't taking on full-time child minding. And you know something? I think my mother was dead right. Hi Patricia, I think the granny could do it on a part-time basis and have the best of both worlds. Granny should be glad to have the grandchildren to mind. Some parents never get the pleasure to have their grandchildren. Granny could mind them for a while and then hand over the responsibility maybe to the other parents. Yeah, I don't know if there's other grandparents are not involved here. They weren't mentioned in the email. Someone else says Granny is right not to take on the responsibility of minding the grandchildren three days a week. Retirement should be free to enjoy after years of working and not be tied down to the commitment of this. Kat said it's the granny's life and she, as she said now, it's her time to enjoy her hobbies and take up new hobbies. They will have to sort themselves out with babysitters as they would have to do if granny lived somewhere else or continued to work full time. Leave granny, would you, to have her own life please. Hi Patricia, I'm a nana. I work three days per week and I mind two of my grandchildren on the other two days of the week and then the other grandparents, they also help out as both the parents are working. I take them one night at the weekend for a sleepover. I don't, by the way, see it as babysitting or child minding. I see it as quality time and it's making memories. I'm just over 60. So yeah, it does work for some grandparents as well. Catherine says, I think if that lady was only recently retired if I was her I wouldn't be interested in minding my children for three days a week I would like to get used to being free for a time before I would commit to uh, anything else Hi, Patricia. I have two young kids and both myself and my husband work. The texter is the one being selfish here. I have no problem with them asking the mother-in-law to mind the children, but they need to respect her answer. She is entitled to enjoy her 
uh, retirement yet and some people are fearful that maybe some pressure now is going to come on this grandmother even though I think this grandmother is quite strong in her views I don't even if they try and pressurise her I don't know if it's going to work or not anyway that's just a small sample I can see lots more texts and comments uh, coming in on this one 0818 103 103 and Dan has been on to say Patricia the Vodafone network when I asked about the Vodafone network from one of our listeners uh, is uh, I'm, I'm in Rathmore and it's working fine here so it's obviously an issue in that listener's house. Thank you for that. Dan texting 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. I'll come back to, I can see more comments coming in. I will get back to them, but I want to move on to a different issue because with our state broadcaster RTE facing another year of financial difficulties, cutbacks are very much on the cards. There had been speculation that they might withdraw from the Eurovision Song Contest but good news for us that are fans Ireland will take part in the event this year and Johnny O'Mani our Eurovision correspondent uh, joins me. Good morning to you Johnny. Good morning Trisha. how are you? I'm very well. Were you a bit nervous that they might pull this year because of the cost involved? I it, not, I suppose nervous is probably the wrong word, but um, there was there was a, a possibility that they would. But I, there's there's a fine, you know, one, once you submit and then withdraw. If you, there's a certain date, you have to withdraw beforehand. I think it's sometime in October. And when they hadn't done that, I thought right, they're not gonna um, say we're taking part and then withdraw after the deadline when they'd have to pay a fine. So um, I suppose when they didn't withdraw relief. before the deadline, yeah, it was, there was kind relief. of, you know, they, they, they were going to take part then, yeah. Okay, and the very first topic that I want to talk about in advance of this year's Eurovision Song Contest is the is the Caribbean. Is the Caribbean taking part in this year's Eurovision? No, we all saw social no. <laughs> media posts last week. What is that all about? Yeah, it's it's like everything. No publicity is bad publicity. or no. Um, it's there was There was a teaser that Caribbean were going to be involved, but it's Royal Caribbean Cruises are a sponsor for the, the Eurovision this year and they I will be for twenty four and twenty five. So it's it's just more um I think it was more publicity and adv- advertising that um you know people straight away thought it was going to be um you know, they were taking that there was some country from the Caribbean taking part, but that's not the case at all. And then people were saying Captain Morgan's room were going to be sponsors. And, <laughs> you know, it, it went like everything, you know, social media just twists everything. And and that's how it went. But yeah. uh, it was it was a big news thing. I mean, because uh, it was, you know, it was kind of on all the um you know the news programs and stuff like that. So um, it it just turns out it was a clever tease. It was it was a very clever tease, and I, and I know like very people much. were giving out saying it's Eurovision, not World Division. But then you know I instantly said you know Australia are there, and when Australia came yeah. into the contest in 2015, am I right in saying that they were meant to just come for one year? They were invited for one year, and. Um, you know, it, it's like somebody you invite somebody into your house and you can't get rid of them. You know, <laughs> so uh, it's it, not necessary that you can't get rid of Australia, but because they kind of they've broadcast every year for so many years and you know had a big interest and you know they brought a big big something I suppose to Eurovision in 2015 and um, you know they, they, they've been there to stay and big news on Australia is that Danny Minogue has been mentioned. She's been sending a lot of teasers on her Twitter and Instagram and whatever, but we don't know whether she's going to be a, a songwriter or a performer or if she's just, 
you know, kind of behind the, the act that's coming to well, Malmo for Well, um, that so would be big. Yeah. It, it's another big name, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and as you say, uh, Eurovision is huge in Australia, so I can understand why they've sort of let huge, them in. And listen, huge. if they send one of the Minogue sisters, uh, they'll bring it to a completely yeah. different level. Now, our our big own time. our own entry, we have to select an entry uh, first. Uh, is it the Late Late Show again will determine, will there be a night on the Late Late? Yeah, late, late show again. I'd say it would probably be a replica of last year with obviously with a different presenter, uh, diff- six different songs. But I'd say it's probably going to be more or less the same type of show. Uh, there was there's the budget isn't there to do anything different, to be honest with you, I think is the is the feedback from that. People were saying they should just pick a singer in a song. But bottom line, they put out for submissions, I think, 386 or 300 and 80 something anyway, uh, songs were submitted and it was shortlisted down to six. And uh, they're being uh, previewed every day this week on Ray Darcy. Two today, uh, there was one Monday, one Tuesday, two today, one tomorrow, one Friday. Yeah, they're very um, much drip feeding um, who's yeah, taking part. Yeah. And the thing about it, previously we would have heard them and then or may, we may not have heard them until the night, but each individual act now can push their song, they can promote their song and publicise it in any way they want on social media, they can perform live, they can do TV, radio, whatever um, going forward before the final on the 26th of January Okay Friday, uh, And so far the, the the first act we heard about is Erica Cody and people Erica will, now she's, she'll be well known, she was in um, she was in Dancing with the Stars, she wasn't she Dance last year? She did Stars, yeah, and uh, she's I mean she's she's had a career in her own right, her kind of being, she's been in, in the public eye for quite a while um, Great performer, the song is very I suppose it's, you, you could look at it as being something from one of the Swedish finals, you know, it's 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 just up there. It's, it's it's different for Ireland, I suppose. But it's while it's being written, she states not for your vision. It's kind of it has that your vision feel to it. But again, nothing is, I suppose, set in stone until we see them perform on the night. Yeah. Uh, and the, the girl, it, it's like everything. The, huh? the girl yesterday, uh, Alicia. Alicia, yeah, Alicia Davy. She's the daughter of Sean Davy and Rita Connolly. Her sister is Cathy Davy. Neil Hannan of the Divine Comedy is her yeah. brother-in-law. Oh, her okay. own brother has is a, in in music as well. So it's, it, there's a big pedigree, or a great pedigree, music pedigree in in her um, in her. What would you say in 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 Elsha herself? So um, it's Oscar Elga heard the song is. There's, yeah, there's Oscar. I think there's English and Irish, but it's it's more a rock song. It's completely different for Ireland, um, and uh, she has, you know, I think she's in with a shout because the the um, social media went into overdrive yesterday. Did after it? Her, yeah, okay, it's, uh, yeah. After there's, I just... there's, there's a big interest. I think people are just kind of more curious than it, it, it again Trish as I, I've probably said many times before it's all down to how it's performed and how it looks on the night in your song and, and that's for any of the songs because you know you hear it on the radio it's a recording it's not a live version that you hear on, that they're doing on Ray Darcy anyway 
So it's one thing you hear recording is great and then you see live performance. You think, where did that come from? It's it can go way better or way worse. Yeah. And so, and she's written know. she's written this this piece herself and she, you know, she wanted an alternative uh, sound. I just smiled when I saw you're right. The lyrics are in both uh, English and, and in Irish. But one of the one of the phrases, uh, those of us who have a little bit of Irish that we remember from school, I'm well, can the gum that's in the middle of the song can I please go to the toilet for those of you that don't know what that's oh I'm interested to see what happens there okay yeah, so and, and, and part of the feedback as well on that is people say you know it doesn't matter what language a song is sung in if somebody likes a song the, the tune or the melody or the performance that'll be because but regardless of language you know it, it you know that that's that's not an issue for for the the international audience, I suppose. Okay, so we have so we'll get to hear all of them at some stage this week, and then what's the date again of the late late Euro song? Twenty sixth of January. Twenty sixth, so two weeks on Friday. Okay, yeah. all, all right, and and we'll at that stage hopefully have clips of all of the songs that we will be able to uh, uh, play out. Now, yeah, l- l- talk to me about other countries. Have they started their selection procedures? Yeah, Ned- Netherlands have chosen, France have chosen, Cyprus have chosen. Czech have chosen, Belgium, Albania, Slovenia. Um, Greece has uh, announced their performer. And then, of course, the the main one, the UK, have announced Ali Alexander, who's um, well known in UK circles. Now, he's recorded with Elton John. He's recorded with so many. He acted in the the, um, series It's a Sin. He's, um, the name of the group is... uh, What's the the group he was in? Oh, he was um, with a group uh, many years, years ago, years, years and years. years. Yeah, they had their yeah, one big hit, King. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gone solo and has a huge following. So, um, the UK are all out to bring the glory back to the UK this year and host again next year. I think the BBC hosting in Liverpool in 2023 has just, I, in, I think Sam Ryder's performance and you know of the BBC going out and recruiting to do well in Eurovision and to do well and host it's just given a new lease on life to what what they're what they're doing going forward so they're all out to win and host again next year so um it's that they're probably the biggest at this point leaving Danny Minogue out but if she's not we, we don't know what's happening there yet but Ali Alexander is probably the the biggest UK star for a long time to take part in. Have Europe. you heard and the he's song? Very positive about. No, the song hasn't been released yet. The original rumor was that it was uh, Dua Lipa was involved, but I don't think she is now. There's not. It's it hasn't been released yet. Or there's no there's no knowledge of what what it is. But um, okay, so that, they the the U, the UK do their selection completely different than to us. They pick a singer yeah. and a songwriter. It's, All countries yeah. do, yeah. Some some of them nominate the singer and then or maybe, um, you know, they pick a singer and then get submissions for a song and put it. But this, it, every country has to, can do their own thing. Um, and it's it doesn't matter. You know, you can just walk in and say, right, we're putting this singer and song in. And once the song fits within the guideline and the rules, that that's that's each country's um, okay. option, what, what, how they do it. And of course, uh, it'll be May before we know it. And uh, Malmo in uh, Sweden, they've ho- Malmo's hosted it before. Yeah, this is their third time. The first time I went was in nineteen ninety two when Linda won. That was in Malmo, ah. and then when when Lorene won in twenty twelve, they hosted in Malmo uh, the following year in twenty thirteen, and now after um, Lorene again, um, they, it, it, it wasn't Malmo's turn to host, but 
that it was stuck. It was people thought it was going to be Gothenburg, and then because it was kind of the big one, it, it's a big one this year because it's the 50th anniversary of ABBA winning. Yeah, um, so in 1974, it's, so it's a big thing for Sweden to be hosting. But you know, there's all kinds of um, speculation that ABBA will make an appearance of some sort. But whether they will, I, I couldn't see ABBA kind of coming in and doing. They, they won't do a live performance, and I, I know no. that. But you know, I think they would look at it as taking the limelight from everybody participating because the whole thing would be geared towards them. So there may be a recording, or you know, there, there will be some. Interaction, I'm sure, with Abba. There'll be some the nod. There'll be some nod to them for sure. Are, are, are you going to go? At this point, no. I, I <laughs> you say this every year now, stage. Johnny. Can I say? <laughs> I, 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 a day or two days, or maybe if if I got a ticket for the final, I'll be there in the morning. Okay. But um, there's the the ticket sales were, and I, I think when when I went online, I think I was number. Uh, was I six thousand in the list? But I went up to two hundred thousand in the queue or something. <laughs> People went at 300,000. So, I mean, those tickets weren't available. They just went like hotcakes. So, yeah. um, in the event of getting a ticket for the final, I would go. Um, but we'll cross that bridge. I, I haven't That's said the... no yet, anyway. Have you, you have your holidays booked, anyway? Oh, yeah, I'm off that. that yeah, were... <laughs> it, it, <laughs> Coincidentally. That's not an issue. That, it, it, it's just uh, have, 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 um, have cold will travel. Okay. <laughs> All right. And, and, and I know uh, we, we always try not to make the Eurovision political, but there's always something political that comes out of it. Uh, Israel taking part is causing a bit of a stir yeah. this year. I think it's going to cause a lot of problems um, down the line. Um, it's hard to say, regardless of what, what camp you're in or what, what people's feelings are, people are going to say they shouldn't be there, they should be there. Um, it is going to cause problems on the night. It, uh, you know, when they perform, there's, I mean, it, it's happened in the past. There's going to be booze. There's going to be applause. We just have to wait and see what happens if, you know, if they're going to part. They are saying they're participating. Um, we 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 don't know at this point. You know, it, it, it it's it's kind of see how things go in the next few weeks and uh, days and weeks I suppose it's a, it's a day by day yeah. situation and it's for, horrible uh, to hear boos for, because of the oh, the yeah, contestants for, yeah. on stage it's horrible it, it really yeah, is horrible and I, I've, I've been there when you know kind of different say in, in when Russia performed in previous years and there were boos and uh, you know Russia have been disqualified or they've, they've not allowed to take part so we have to wait and see what happens I, I'd say it's just a day by day situation mm. with, okay. with the whole organising right. side what, we'll, what we'll, we'll speak again later on in the month uh, in advance of our, our selecting the song and then of course we'll be chatting with you uh, coming up to the Eurovision itself in the meantime Johnny thanks for that just a quick text in from Jim who heard a bit of the Erica Cody's song uh, and he thought it was very catchy and he thinks she'd be good representation for Ireland yeah she'd be very, very slick indeed alright Johnny Eason, thanks for that have a lovely thanks, week Trish. thanks for joining thanks, us Trish. that is uh, Johnny O'Mahony our Eurovision correspondent can I just give a quick a look at some of because we've been inundated with the texts and comments in about the uh, the mother-in-law being asked to mind the children. I just want to get uh, to some of them. Hi Patricia, I don't think the mother-in-law should look after those children. I cannot believe anyone would expect 
expect them to drop them home because it's too far away. Oh, that was on babysitting at a night. I think the daughter-in-law here is a cheeky young lady. And that comes in from somebody who describes themselves as a, a grandmother. And some of your calls in Melissa by email to Cork today on c103.ie. We often hear, sadly, of those who don't get to enjoy retirement. Yet here we have a situation where it seems they were watching the clock to this lady's retirement date ready to pounce with a guilt trip to get her to mind the children two if not three days a week in all fairness it sounds very unfair I do hope she's got she gets to enjoy her retirement because the stress of this is surely going to put a little bit of a dampener on uh, it and some of your calls in Nancy says that the daughter-in-law has some cheek to be upsetting the mother-in-law by refusing the mother is entitled to her time off uh, cheek it's cheeky uh, that she, uh, particularly when she said she was upset when the mother-in-law said no. John and Cove says the less people see of their mother-in-laws, the better. Mother-in-laws have broke up a lot of marriages around the place. Oh, fighting talk there from John and Cove. Helen says, I agree with the mother-in-law. She's gone through all of this before. I do feel she needs to help out though, but not on a continuous basis for the grandchildren. She's been asked too much. Joan says, I feel some daughter-in-laws take advantage of their parents and of their in-laws. If they if if they have children, remember the responsibility that goes with it. Don't rely on grandparents. Uh, remember, some parents work uh, as well. Joanne says, in Formoy, says a bit much to expect the mother-in-law to look after the children for two or three days uh, a week. A day here or there is fine. But if she wants to look after them, she would have offered before now. She's been exploited by this couple. She's good to have in an emergency, but please don't tie her down with such, uh, with a commitment like two to three days. That's why I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul and to Stephen who helped out on phones uh, today. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.